Can I ask you uh, to do me a favour, just to start off with? Um, it involves talking to your neighbour, so if you don't know them, you might need to introduce yourself to them. And uh, I want you to try and find out how far back um, your neighbour can tell the names, the first names of their family members. So, um, if they know their grandparents' names, fantastic. If they know their great-grandparents' names, brilliant. If they know their great-grandparents' names, even better. Could you try that? How many generations can you go back and tell me the first names uh, of your ancestors? How many people manage grandparents' first names? Brilliant, well done. How about great-grandparents' first names? Ooh, what do you say that would? Maybe a third of you. Okay, maybe less. How about great-great-grandparents' first names? Ooh, okay. Did you manage further? Great-great-great-grandparents' first names. Okay, fantastic. How far did you go back? Seven or eight. Okay, how about you, sir? One side, five or six. Okay. Most of us struggled... Most of us struggled with great-great-grandparents, didn't we? Now, that's quite scary, isn't it? Because it means in, in four generations, you are going to be completely forgotten. I mean, if your family don't even remember your name, unless you're some major uh, player in... Uh, what, what is it going to be? It could be uh, the world of science, uh, or you could uh, invent a philosophy, um, or, or maybe even a rock star, but rock stars get, forget, get forgotten pretty quickly. Any of you heard of, of the singer Tiffany? Very few. I mean, I, I love Tiffany. When I was 15 years old, I bumped off a day of school to go and see her perform in London. But now, this room, no one knows who she is. So unless you make a major mark in some major field, you're going to be completely forgotten in four generations. How does that feel? I mean, even if you got to be a, a famous uh, um, sports person. I don't know if you've ever seen the show, um, They Think It's All Over. It's kind of a... Uh, a game show based around sports and uh, Jonathan Ross is, is on it I don't know why he's on it he's not particularly a sporty person but they, they bring out these guys and they ask you to guess something about them and this guy was um, he was an Olympic uh, gold medal winner for Toboggan in the 1960s Okay, so still alive still going strong nobody could guess who he was or what he did even though he'd won an, an Olympic medal so you've got to be a major player in sports in science in music, you've got to be someone absolutely phenomenal to be remembered. Most of us will be completely forgotten in four generations. How does that feel? What kind of legacy will you leave behind? That was the uh, question that was posed for me to deliver a talk on this morning. I want to show you a clip. Um, this clip was banned in Britain. It, it, let me show you why. Don't worry, it's not obscene. Uh, but uh, have a look at it and tell me how it makes you feel.
Can't think why that was banned, can you? But it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, the speed of life where we're, I can't believe I'm 35 already. I, I, I remember just, just going to school, you know, and I, I, I can't believe I'm at this stage in my life. How come life seems to zoom by so quickly? And uh, soon we'll be hitting the grave, says uh, the video clip. So what do we do? Well, life's short, play more. Play more Xbox, uh, distract yourself from the reality uh, that life is short by just immersing yourselves in video games. Uh, there is a, a very famous um, piece of uh, theatre called Waiting for Godot. I don't know if you've seen it. it, it it's not a riveting kind of play. Uh, it was uh, written by Samuel Beckett, but there's a fantastic line in it. It's all about these men that wait for something to happen. Don't, if you want to see this play, spoiler warning away, awaits. Uh, they're waiting for someone to turn up. And uh, the whole play is about them waiting for someone to turn up, and he doesn't. Okay, that's it. That's the play. Fascinating. But there's an amazing line in the play which says, look, we give birth above graves. That's all life is. A momentary uh, blip between the womb and the grave. That's all we've got, this short amount of time. How does that grab us? What do we do with that experience? Most of us live by distraction. Blaise Pascal said, that's what we do. We can't cope with the reality that life is short, that eternity awaits us. So we distract ourselves from coping and thinking about that question. There was a a philosopher called Soren Kierkegaard, um, who was a Danish uh, philosopher. And he said, we shouldn't make circular clocks. Clocks should be, uh, shouldn't be circular because circular clocks... Uh, give the impression that life goes on and on and on and on forever. Time keeps going, round and round and round. There's no end to it. What we should have instead, says Kierkegaard, is uh, like egg timers. So you can see the sands of time drifting away. He wasn't a particularly happy guy either. <laughs> but he's asking us to confront a reality, isn't he? That uh, life is precious, it's fragile. What are we going to do with eternity? There's been a, a series of, uh, of uh, pictures being circulating the internet recently uh, asking us to question uh, the fragility of life. Let me show some of them to you. They're kind of health and safety um, pictures. How about this one? Can you see that? Be careful, you know, danger can strike anywhere. You need to be on your guard. This is my favourite one. Oh, you might not be able to see it. He's putting up an aerial in a, um, in a lightning storm. So, you know, be careful. Life is fragile. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to cope with the fragility of it? What kind of legacy are you going to leave behind? Well, not many of us get to read our own obituaries. And uh, here was a man that did and uh, his name was Alfred Noble. He read the headline of his obituary, which said, uh, The Merchant of Death is Dead. Uh, The people that wrote the obituary got it wrong. It was his brother that died in an accident. Uh, But he was uh, thought to have been, Alfred was the one they thought had died, and so they wrote the obituary about him. And uh, Dr. Alfred Noble, it said, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. And uh, Alfred Noble had uh, basically found ways of mass-producing TNT 
and it was responsible for a lot of the arms that was going out and killing many, many millions uh, of people. I wonder what your obituary will read as. I wonder if you've got any idea. You know, they, they keep them on file for famous people, don't they? Just in case they die. And the BBC have got films ready to show for various people. They've got one for the Queen. Uh, they had one for James Brown recently. And uh, they're on file. So I suppose, theoretically, if you're a famous person, you could read your own obituary. Just ask the BBC what they're going to show. But what's yours going to be like? What is going to be written on your obituary? Well, this man read this his own obituary and he made a big difference as a result. Do you know who he is? Who is Alfred Nobel? Yeah, the man that made this, the Nobel Peace Prize. He felt terrible that his legacy was going to be death and so he decided to invest uh, all of his uh, funds into a prize that would promote peace instead. He grabbed hold of eternity and thought, I need to do something about this. I can't just drift on. I want my legacy to be a positive one. There's another man that knew that he was going to die. I don't know if um, you heard about this. Um, Scott to the Antarctic, beaten to the Antarctic by Amundsen. And uh, recently they found letters that he had written to his wife and his wife had written to him. And uh, his hope was just that he would have been a good memory to his wife. Dealing with eternity. What's will we do? These are important questions. I don't think it's possible to live life fully until we've addressed them. What do we do with our own mortality? What do we do with the fact that one day uh, we will meet our maker? And uh, one man came to Jesus and asked exactly the question that we need to ask today. What is it that will give eternal life? What is the ultimate legacy that we can enjoy. And I'm going to encourage you to to open a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some stacked over there and um, friends will bring you them. And uh, we're looking at a passage from Luke's Gospel and it's Luke chapter 18, which in the Church Bible is page 1052. And let's take a look at a man who comes to meet Jesus and ask him a few questions. I'm going to read the whole passage to you. Just stick up your hands and we'll bring you one, page 1052. Here's uh, just a couple over here. That's great. I want you to read it for yourself and not just take my word for it. And so therefore investigating the source material is always a good idea. Brilliant. And uh, as I read it, I want you to be doing a bit of kind of uh, profiling. You know those FBI profilers uh, and how they have to put together a psychological profile or a, uh, a, a kind of history of this person. Try to get as much information as you can Uh, out of the man that has come to Jesus. And uh, we'll talk about that when I've finished. Verse 18, page 1052. A certain ruler asked him, that's Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left all we have to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children or friends for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Let's pause there. Let's do some profiling. What do you notice about this man that has come to Jesus? That's a non-rhetorical question and I'm not telepathic. So what do you notice about this man that's come to Jesus? What strikes you about him? Any age? Anybody? Feel free to come back at me. What do you notice about him? He's rich. Yeah, he's loaded. Uh, he's, he's got his financial security completely sorted. What else do you notice about this man? He's a ruler. He's got some kind of uh, respect and a responsibility in society. He's an upstanding citizen, most likely, and uh, he's got the, the financial backing to get there. Yeah, good. Anything else you notice? Yeah. Uh, sure. Good. We're going to look at that. That's, that's helpful. I mean, if you did a straw poll in Britain today, could people name the Ten Commandments? No, most people can't. But this man can't... Jesus is confident that this man knows them, therefore he's got a religious background, but he actually claims to have obeyed them, at least some of them, and therefore you could say he's righteous, he's a respectable, rich, powerful, religious individual. Good. Anything else you could notice about him? He's very earnest, yeah. I mean, he comes to Jesus, he's got all the right kind of language, good teacher, there's humility there. And uh, he sought Jesus out. Yeah, good. Anything else that you notice about this person coming to Jesus? Yeah, Emily. Yes. Yes. That's right. I mean, he's got his financial security, it would seem. He's got his respect. He's got his religion. And yet, something's not quite right. He's still slightly worried about eternity. What's it going to mean? You know, even though I've got all these other bits of my life sorted, I'm still nervous about this. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because some people think the only people interested in, in spirituality or religion are losers. This guy isn't a loser. And yet he's still nervous. He's got a question. So he comes to Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a funny question in some ways, isn't it? What must I do to inherit internal life? I don't know how you'd feel. You know, imagine you're getting on in years and uh, one of your um, nephews or nieces or grandchildren comes up to you and says, what must I do to get an inheritance from you? You know, what's it going to take? You know, a few visits a week or, um, you know, how about helping out around the house or a few more birthday cards or you know, thank you cards. What's it going to take to get an inheritance from you? How would you feel? I feel completely insulted. You think you can buy an inheritance from me with a few measly cards and a, a couple of bringing my shopping around? No way. That's not how inheritance works, is it? If I should choose to give you an inheritance, that's up to me. 
and I'll do it, not because you've earned it, but if I love you, it's going to be a gift that I give you, not something that you earn. But this teacher comes, this man comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Actually, Jesus didn't say, how dare you try and earn an inheritance from God. What he does is ask him a question back. Did you notice? Verse 19. Why do you call me good? Strange conversation. Well, I was being polite, of course. You know, you know, a good teacher. You're a good, upstanding man, and you know, I, I like some of the, the great stories. You know, you're a great storyteller, Jesus, and you know, you've done some miracles. Yeah, that, that could have been the response, couldn't it? Jesus says, "Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone." The first place Jesus wants to take this man on, on a journey of discovery is actually to understand what goodness means. No one is good but God alone. I mean, people sometimes ask me if this foster son that we've got is a good baby. Do you know what they mean by that? Does he sleep? Does he keep me awake at night? Does he feed well? Or uh, someone might say that was a good film, you know, had a, a bit of suspense or a bit of drama. Uh, or it's a good day today because the sun's out. But Jesus says no one is good except God alone. No one is morally pure except God alone. That's what he means by good in this context. And actually the rest of the Bible supports that, doesn't it? The Bible says that God is light in whom there is no darkness. There is not a spot of moral evil anywhere near God. I sometimes try to picture what Jesus, uh, what John meant when he said, uh, God is light in whom there is no darkness. And the closest I can imagine is the core of the sun. Can you imagine what it's like in the core of the sun? Absolute light and brightness. Darkness can't exist there. It just gets burnt up. And when John says, God is light in whom there is no darkness, he's saying God is absolutely morally perfect. And evil and sin cannot exist in the presence of God. Jesus wants this man to have a right conception of good. But he pushes him a little bit further. No one is good except God alone, he says in verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. Here's a test for you. Could I ask you again, try it in pairs. Um, he's mentioning some of the Ten Commandments. Can you remember or work out which are the ones he hasn't mentioned out of the Ten Commandments? You can cheat if you want and look it up in Exodus chapter 20 or you can try and do it from memory. Which of the Ten Commandments has he left out? Okay, easy. Those are the five that he did mention. Which ones didn't he mention? Love the people. Oh, I'm going to go there, Grace. That's exactly where I'm headed. But um, it wasn't one I was thinking of at this moment. Go on, which one does he mention? Doesn't he mention? 
covet, being jealous of, of other people's stuff, yeah. No other gods, yeah. Keep the Sabbath day, yeah. Yes, blasphemy, yeah. Any others? Don't make for yourself an idol. If you can see those. Now you might say most people in Britain think the ones that he does mention are probably the key ones, aren't they? When they think, oh, you know, if we live by the Ten Commandments, the five white ones are the key ones, aren't they? They're the important ones. And Jesus doesn't mention, don't have any other gods, don't make idols, don't blaspheme, don't covet, keep the Sabbath. I wonder why Jesus doesn't mention those five with this man. Even if those were the only five, the ones in white, this man says, all those I've kept since I was a boy. I can't say that. I can't say that I've never um, disobeyed my mother and father, or I've never given false testimony, or even that I've never uh, stolen. I can't say that. I wonder why Jesus only mentions those five. Grace very helpfully reminded us that um, we are, we're given a summary of the Old Testament law by Jesus in two verses. Do you remember how it went? It says, uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Which are the five that Jesus mentioned? Which ones do they relate to? out of those two commands. The ones that Jesus did mention all relate to loving your neighbour, don't they? They don't relate to loving God with all your heart, soul and mind. But Jesus isn't saying that the ones that have to do with your neighbour are the most important. He isn't saying that. But actually, he's trying to expose what this man's understanding of goodness and moral perfection is all about. Because look what happens next. He says to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Okay? Now, by saying that, Jesus is saying, keeping those love your neighbour commandments aren't enough. Okay? Or let me test the degree to which you love your neighbour. You say you've kept these commandments since you were a boy. I can't say that. Most people in Britain can't say that. Jesus says to them, you're not ready yet to meet God. You're not ready yet for eternal life because you failed to live as God once. You still lack one thing. Even though you've never committed adultery, you've never murdered, you've never stolen, uh, you've never disobeyed your parents, and you've never lied, you're still not ready. Because your conception of how good you need to be to meet God is inadequate. Now look what happens. You still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was a man of great wealth. And we hear that he walks away from Jesus. What does that show you? It shows you that this man does not believe that Jesus really is a good teacher with a capital G, that he is God in human form. Okay? No one is good but God alone. Jesus, rest of scripture, I think it's fairly easy to deduce, Jesus claims to be God himself. Okay? And this man will not obey Jesus' command to him because there's something else that he loves more than God. He loves his wealth. The wealth has become an idol to him. 
The wealth has become another God's end. And actually this commandment that he refuses to obey actually shows that he doesn't love his neighbour. Because there's something else that he loves more than his neighbour. He loves his wealth. And he's going to hold on to it. You see, this man thinks he's holy, but when he's confronted by God, he realises he isn't. There is something that he loves more than God, something that he loves more than his neighbour. And so he's not ready for eternal life. Now this is what happens next in the story. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying it's so hard for rich people to understand or be willing to put God first in their life. And he says it's easier for a, for a, a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And some people think he means a metaphorical camel, or he means a camel uh, that needs to go through a, a, a city gate that was, a, that was described as the eye of a needle, and the camel would used to have to go down on, uh, and kneel down to, to kind of get through that, that eye of a needle place. Rubbish. He means a literal needle with a literal eye and a literal camel. How are you going to get a camel to go through an eye of a needle? What are you going to do? Lick its tail and try and feed it through? <laughs> Liquidise the thing and kind of drip it through? I mean, how are you going to do it? It's impossible, says Jesus. It's not going to happen. This man walked away from Jesus, the only person who could offer him eternal life, an eternal legacy, if you like. He walked away because he loved his wealth more than he loved God and more than he loved his neighbour. Now that's crazy, isn't it? Absolutely crazy. Have you heard? I've never checked this out, but I've heard how um, some tribes use uh, to trap monkeys. You heard this? The idea is that you, you get this thing, it looks a little bit like a bottle, and um, could be made of uh, kind of uh, bamboo or whatever, and it's kind of secured uh, to a tree or something on one end, and um, it's got a long neck, and at the bottom uh, they put a peanut. Okay? And uh, the monkey comes along, smells the peanut, and uh, maybe sees it, I don't know, and uh, reaches his hand down into the trap, grabs the peanut. And now his hand won't come out the top of the bottle because it's got a thin neck. So he's caught. And he sees the hunter coming towards him, and all the monkey need to do is let go of the peanut, and he's free. But the monkey holds on to the peanut. He loves the peanut more than he loves his life. And you say, what a waste! Stupidity, drop the peanut, it's all yours. Freedom's yours. But he holds on to the peanut. And here's a man meeting Jesus, the only person that can deal with his problem, that he's not good enough to meet God, that he's failed morally. He loves something more than God, he loves something more than his name. Jesus is the only person that can deal with that, and we'll find out just in a minute how Jesus deals with it. But instead of, of, of offering Jesus his life, he holds on to it, and therefore loses it. What a stupid waste. What a stupid waste. The disciples go crazy at this moment. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? If rich, respected, religious people can't get to heaven, there's no hope for the rest of us, they say. Jesus says this, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Jesus said, don't worry, 
No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. How is Jesus able to offer eternal life to people that have failed God's moral standards? Let me just show you the last part of this passage. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be turned over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus does something about our moral failure. Jesus comes down from heaven, lives the life we should have lived, dies the death that we should have died because we love something more than God, more than our neighbour. And when Jesus dies on the cross, that is the way in which our moral failure can be forgiven by God. Jesus acts as a substitute on our behalf. And all it takes to become a follower of Jesus is to actually say to Jesus, I'm sorry, I have failed, I haven't loved you as I ought to have done, I haven't loved my neighbour as myself, I have failed your standards, would you forgive me? But also, I will follow I will let you lead me. I will let you be the centre of my life. I will let your will for my life uh, determine what I do. Those are the two things that God asks for. He doesn't ask all of us to give up all that we have and give to the poor. In fact, if he did, it would be a very difficult situation, wouldn't it? Because it would be like uh, pass the parcel. Because if you give all your wealth to somebody, they've got some wealth, and what they're going to do with it, they're going to have to pass it on to someone who's poor, and that poor person will then have lots of wealth. Do you see what I'm saying? It, it can't mean a general rule for Christianity that you have to give up all your possessions and give it to people, because otherwise someone's got to get it at the end, and that's not fair because they can't become a Christian because they would have to give it. Do you follow it? He doesn't mean that. But for this man, at this moment, that was what the call was, to give up something that was actually stopping him from having a relationship with God. And so, to be a Christian, it is simple. You are saying sorry. You are asking Jesus to, to lead you. But it is costly. It costs God, his own son, dying on a cross for our sins. And there will be a cost to you if there is something in your life that is stopping you from loving God with all your heart, soul and mind and loving your neighbour as yourself. Jesus will ask for you to give it away. I don't know what that is. I guess that's something that you, you sort out between you and God. But you need to realise there is a cost involved. But when you compare it with what Christ is offering, life forever with him, and as Dave very helpfully said, not just an eternal existence, but a quality of life that starts now and goes on forever. How dare we hold on to whatever it is? Jesus is, is a wonderful person, but do you notice he doesn't chase the rich man down the road? He lets him make the choice for himself. He doesn't say, I force you to make that decision. He doesn't use the Obi-Wan force method. I don't know if you've seen that. But he doesn't you know, change his brain so that he has to follow Jesus. And he doesn't chase him down the road and say, oh, I didn't mean it about giving up the stuff for the poor. You know, we'll let you in anyway. You know, you can be a class B Christian and uh, never mind. You know, I had great hopes for you, but you can be a B class. He doesn't say that. Jesus lays it out before the man and lets the man decide. That man walks away. What will your response be? 
Do you want life forever with God that starts now? Or do you want life as it is, holding on to the peanut? Let's pray together, shall we?